verses uh, 16 to 19, we get a key insight into the promises of God and what they actually are. So starting in, um, I'll start in verse, actually I'll start in verse 13. Sorry for that, Ryan. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. Isn't that beautiful? We see the promises of God displayed to us, almost like the curtains pulled back and we can see them from what they are. The promises of God are the very thoughts of God toward you, toward me. Isn't that awesome? And his thoughts aren't wishy-washy. I know sometimes, you know, I'll just be transparent, you know, how sometimes we all have thoughts that we just don't utter, you know, it's someone will annoy you in the checkout or they'll cut in front of you and you have some thoughts. They're not so good. Um, But God's thoughts toward us are good. They display his character. They display his goodness. They can't be anything but good. His promises are his thoughts toward us. And so as we look into this psalm here, Psalm 139, we see that God has not only does he have these wonderful thoughts, but that he's using those thoughts. He's planning out. He's planning for all of the natural needs, and he's planning for all of our spiritual needs. You know, God's comprehensive. Can you hand me that? God is comprehensive in his planning for us. Is that a little bit better? Yeah, I could hear this. It could be my personality, but it (laughs) might be feedback. (laughs) But God planned out every day. Isn't that comforting? He's planned out every day. He's planned out every moment. Before I ever lived a day, He had it planned out. I just find that to be so awesome. And especially when you get a hold of how much he loves you and how much he cares for you, well, it takes on a whole new meaning and a whole new dimension. You know, Jesus, he taught about the promises. He relied on the promises. And in the end, Jesus was the fulfillment and is the fulfillment of all the promises. He's not only the fulfillment of the promises, but let's talk about the thoughts. He is the expression of God's thoughts towards you. He is the fullest expression of what God feels for you in this natural life and in the life to come. Amen? He's that fullest expression. How beautiful is that? So Jesus taught about the promises. You know, in Matthew uh, chapter 7, toward the end of it, uh, Jesus gives us a parable, but it's the end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, you know, 
all these people, Jesus on top, the disciples there, and then all of these people that had been following him around, and he's just teaching. He's teaching truth. He's teaching about the promises of God. He's giving people insight. People who listen can get insight from him. And he gives us the parable of the builder, the wise builder and the foolish builder. So Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. In verse 28, this is awesome here. I want you to hold on to this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority. He taught with real authority. I want to look at why he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. You know, Jesus... When he gives this parable, some people think, oh, he's talking to believers and, non, and then he's talking to non-believers. Actually, everybody who's sitting around has been following him. Everybody has been listening to him. These are people who believe something about him, but there's two types sitting in the crowd. And the difference between the two, between the wise and the foolish, is a choice. And the choice is expressed. Your choice isn't in saying yes or no. It's by doing or not doing. Do you get that? It's by doing or not doing. The promises. We have two types of promises in Scripture. We have unconditional promises. Like, I don't have to wonder if Jesus is going to come back. I don't wonder what's going to happen to me. It's unconditional. It's not reliant upon me. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I know that by rapture or by rupture, whether I'm caught up or whether I have a massive hemorrhage and I drop to the ground. By the way, if that happens while I'm preaching, don't you dare revive me, all right? <laughs> don't you dare revive me. I, I have bills and things here, you know, okay? <laughs> uh, so it's a choice. It's about the doing. Jesus not only taught about the promises, but he relied on the promises. You know, Jesus said, I don't say anything I don't first hear my father say he hears his father saying what his thoughts toward him promises I don't do anything I don't foresee my father do what does his father do well just go back to those thoughts go back to the promises Jesus is an imitator of God Jesus relied on the promises they were part of every day every moment even in the temptation in the wilderness we see Jesus, he's being tempted. Hey, Jesus, you look hungry. Why don't you turn these rocks into bread? Of course, if you've been fasting for 40 days, that's an invitation for your stomach to split open, and you're going to be dead like that. It's like, hey, why don't you commit suicide? Well, Jesus replies with, you can go and read it for yourself. It is written. He goes to Scripture, and he quotes back Scripture to that temptation. It is written. It is written. Jesus knew the promises of God. He knew God's thoughts. It's important for us to know, too. There's a lot of temptation in this life. And one of the awesome little scenes that you see in Matthew 8, 
um, where Jesus is relying on the promises. You know, Jesus had gone from the Sermon on the Mount and the parable of the two builders, and he'd gone around and he healed people, and there were miracles and all of these things, and uh, got to the end of all of that, um, and Jesus um, said, let's go to the other side of the lake. You know, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. He said, he didn't say, let's try or let's give it a shot. Maybe it'll work. Maybe we'll make it. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And as they were going, I'll read it to you in Matthew 8, uh, verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. And suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was asleep. Some translations say he was asleep on a pillow at the front of the boat. Storms blowing, water's going everywhere. Everybody's panicking. Jesus is like, (laughs) he'd had a busy day. He was resting not worried. And the disciples went and they woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. And then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And suddenly there was a a great calm and the disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked, even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus was relying on the promises. He was asleep in the front of that boat in the middle of a storm, deep in REM sleep. He was gone to the world. I can sleep like that. Jenny hates it. I, I can sleep through anything. I was just gone. But Jesus was relying on the promises of God. He was resting there. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And, you know, he was really kind of questioning the disciples, where's your faith? But what he's really saying is, come on, haven't you caught on yet? Sometimes it takes us a little while to catch on to how good God is, how good his promises are, how good his thoughts are toward us. Mm. Jesus lived out the promises. He not only relied on them, he just lived them out. I think we need to follow that example, don't you? We need to learn them. What are they? But we need to live them out, too. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, in the Amplified Version, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Wow, there's like 7,000 or more, depending on how you count it and who you talk to, more than 7,000 promises of God in Scripture. And that's more promises than I can think of problems to have. There are more promises than problems. If I tried to write down 7,000 problems, I think I'd run out. I would just, I'd have to be making stuff up. You know, couldn't get a Mickey Mouse lollipop at Fountain Gate last Tuesday. And that might, I'd have to make up some stupid stuff like that. It's amazing, the promises of God. But isn't it just evidence of an amazing God? 2 Corinthians 7.1, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. With a resounding yes. All of the promises of God have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. <laughs> and through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. How about we send up a yes right now? We won't say amen. We'll just say yes on three. One, two, three. Yes. yes. 
Oh, that's good. I can hear you getting it. <laughs> Hallelujah. So Jesus fulfilled the promises. He is the fulfillment of the promises. You know, all of the Old Testament speaks about him, the Messiah who would come. All of the Old Testament, all of the prophets, all of it spoke of the Messiah who would come. I love talking uh, with rabbis through chaplaincy. I catch up with some Jewish rabbis. And, man, that is a lot of fun to talk with these guys. You know, they don't want to talk about Isaiah 52. It's there. It's in their book, you know, that Isaiah is a prophetic book. We, it's in ours, too. Praise God. I mean, I love the Old Testament. I'm not one of these Christians who says, oh, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. Rubbish. <laughs> the Old Testament is what the New Testament's built on. Jesus quoted the Old Testament. Paul uh, exegeted the Old Testament. We rely on the Old Testament. Um, just forgot what I was going to say, but, you know, man, the, what's that? The rabbis. Oh, I love these guys. You sit with them, and, you know, they'll jokingly tell you that if you have uh, three Jews uh, in a room together, that you've got at least five opinions on any one given topic, because they like to debate, and they're really, really good at it, and it's fun to sit down with them and to talk about it. But, you know, there's a jealousy that comes when you're talking to them, because I just come straight out with it. You, you realize I worship your Messiah. I worship your Messiah. He came. He fulfilled everything that was written of him in the Old Testament and in your Bible. He filled, fulfilled all of that. And I worship him. I've got an intimate relationship with God through, through Jesus Christ. Oh, they get a little bit beat red. But then we have a real good discussion about Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53. You know, they're not allowed. They just instruct people, don't read it. It'll confuse you. And don't talk to Christians about it. It'll confuse you further. So that's the one we want to talk about. <laughs> this is your Messiah. You can preach the gospel to them out of the Old Testament and not even have to go into the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? Mm. So what do the promises do? Well, the promises are extremely useful. Knowing the thoughts of God are extremely useful to us. But you know, it profits you nothing unless you mix your faith with it. The difference between those who built their houses, some on the rock, some on sand, was them putting their faith in the promises. It takes faith to activate the promises in your life. It takes faith to access the thoughts of God towards you. It takes faith to make it your reality. It takes faith to do it. It takes faith to do it. But you know, when we take our faith and we mix it with the promises. You can take any problem you have. You got a problem? Find a promise. Take your faith. Mix it with the promise. Take that promise mixed with your faith and put it over the problem, and you just keep on moving. That's how the promises work. Amen? Amen. Do you get that? Yep. You got a problem? You got something you're struggling with? Find a promise. There's more than 7,000. It's like walking into a four-year-old's bedroom at night with the lights off and wondering if you're going to find a Lego piece. Of course you are. You're going to find a Lego piece. So the promises of God just litter Scripture. Get in there and find one. So what promises do? Well, promises, they cleanse us and they allow our spirits to become complete 
in holiness. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. You know, the fear of God is loving what he loves and hating what he hates. That's the fear of the Lord. That's one way of looking at it. But the promises of God cleanse us. They, they change the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about others. And it takes us toward complete holiness. Mm. When I think about the journey I've personally been on just since that night I got saved, and I've shared it before, and I won't, I won't share it again, but you know, I got saved, I was alone. It was just what my uncle had shared with me when I was eight. He's, no matter what you do in life, no matter how much you screw up, just remember, Jesus is always pursuing you, knocking on the door of your heart and saying, hey, if you'll let me in, I'll come in. I'll change you from the inside out. You know, no church, <laughs> no Bible, no scripture. Just that one word when I was eight comes back when I'm in my early 20s and suicidal and changed that whole night. It was one of the most radical nights I've ever had in my life. But from that moment, the promises of God mixed with faith have been changing me. I'm a lot better bloke than I used to be. I'm not the monster I used to be. I used to be a monster. But God just came in and he started doing this complete holiness work on the inside of me, just removing the rubbish so gently, so kind, so gentle, so kind. You know, 1 John 1 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I love this. I can screw up. I can mess it all up. And I can go, God, I messed it all up. He already knows. I mean, that's not news to him. I don't go, God, I screwed it all up. And he goes, what? You did what? It's not like that. He already knows. He just needs to know that I know. He needs to know that I don't want to do that anymore. And then he's faithful and he's just because he loves me, because his thoughts toward me are good, because he's made promises to me that Jesus has fulfilled. Mm. Hallelujah. Second Peter 1 4, it says, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Everybody say, Great and precious. Promises, great and precious. I think sometimes we've let the word great lose its meaning. Great means what? No, it doesn't mean that. Great means what? Come on, guys. Great means great. <laughs> great means like, wow. Great means like, unbelievable. Hoorah, yes. Great means, oh, <laughs> great. I don't know where that was. Great. No worries. Great means great. Great and precious promises. Hallelujah. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature 
and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Man, that's a diagnosis for the whole planet for our current situation that we live in. The world's corruption that we need to escape from has all been caused by human desire, human desires. And we share in that divine nature, we can share in that divine nature and escape the world's corruption. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You know what the promises do? The promises bring us confidence. Jesus preached with authority. That was one of the remarks after the Sermon on the Mount. People were like, this man preaches with such authority. The promises of God bring a confidence to live out this Christian life, to live it out daily, to do what it is that we believe. And they bring a comfort Promises of God bring a comfort that you can go to sleep on a boat in a storm as long as you've got some motion sickness pills and some other things. But it brings that kind of comfort that causes you to rest in situations where in the natural you shouldn't be able to rest. There comes a rest. Confidence and comfort. He is our rock. They are our rock and they are a pillow to rest our heads upon. Jesus made promises. He not only lived them out, but he also made promises. Jesus was God in human skin. When he came to fulfill the promises of God, he came and unleashed a truth into this world that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amazing. But he also made promises. John 15, 7, Jesus has been giving the example of the vine and the branches and the fruit. And Jesus said, but if you remain in me, him the vine, we the branches, and my words remain in you, the very sap that flows through the vine, that connection, we're connected with God at that very sap. We remain connected. My words remain in you. You, ask, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory uh, to my Father. It brings glory to God, brings a smile to his dial, brings, uh, puts, a, puts joy in God's heart when we hold him in remembrance of his word, when we walk out what it is that we believe, when we live out this truth. It is a lived truth. The gospel is to be lived out it's not, uh, you know, I just got saved. Wahoo! Now I'm going to go and get on with the rest of my life. What am I going to do next? It's not one of those things. You come into a right relationship with God, and God comes in and says, I want to do this first. Let's focus on this. Hey, you know what? I just want to give you a little glimpse of what I created you for. Are you ready? Boom. There it is. And you're like, wow. Okay. I think I just got something. And the next thing you know, you're sitting in church and someone preaches a message and you're like, okay, wow, that, that just lines up with what I heard uh, of God a few nights ago. It is a lived experience. It is a lifelong engagement. It is an eternal engagement with God. Eternally engaged, internally connected, internally grafted in uh, to the vine. Hallelujah. You know, 1 John chapter 2 Verse 25, uh, John says, This is the promise, promise which he himself promised eternal life. Jesus promised eternal life 
to those who believe in him. What a comforting promise that is. Does that not bring comfort to you? Eternal life. The idea if you died today, you'd know where you're going. It brings comfort. It brings a peace. It brings a rest. It means that my worst day could be the best day of my whole existence. Amen? I mean, how do you like that? You know, the worst day, no matter how it happens, is going to be my best day. Now, I don't long for death, but I don't fear death. It takes the fear. Oh, death, where is your sting? There is no fear in death anymore because of God's faithfulness, because of his promises. Amen? Amen. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to a prepare a place for you, I'll surely come back for you. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful promise. Hallelujah. We need to be ready for him. So what do we do with the promises? Well, we take those promises, like I said, we mix them with faith, and we apply them to the problems that we face in life. We apply them to the purposes of God, too. You might be called to do something, and it just seems too big. Let, let me put it this way. If, if it doesn't seem too big, hmm, might not quite be something God wants you to do if it's a big picture thing. You need to think about it because I know everything that I've done for God has seemed insurmountable and slightly impossible. Amen? It takes faith to walk it out but it takes faith in the promises of God. In Matthew 28, my final verse, Matthew 28, um, verses uh, 18 to 20, we see Jesus, this is after the resurrection. He's been visiting with the disciples here and there, and he gives instructions, have them all meet me up uh, on top of the mount, and, um, and I'll meet you guys there. And so the last thing he says to his disciples in Matthew 28 is Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority. Everybody say all authority. In heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Everybody say all nations. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Another promise. He wraps it up with a promise. Be sure of this. We should be sure of the promises of God. And on a day like today, this is an appropriate verse to end with because we're going to be baptizing people. We're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Into the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to baptize them today. And even Pastor Larry and Pastor Krista, they're off at this conference in Malta. This conference is one of the most exciting conferences I've ever heard about in the last few years because it's all about reaching the unreached people groups around the world. You know, the Bible says the gospel will go to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. We've got work to do. And so Pastor Larry and Pastor Krista are over there in Malta. Please keep them in your prayers. It's going to be a busy conference uh, for them. But they're going to come back with a fire for the lost in the far reaches of the world, and they're going to have information, intelligence, if you will, on where they are. 
It's really important for us uh, in these last days to be serious about what we've been called to do. We're called to make disciples of all nations. But when Jesus said, I have been given all authority, that means when you mix your faith with God's promises and you ask for anything in the name of Jesus Christ, the authority is there, cocked and loaded, ready to go to make things happen on your behalf. Amen? If God is for you, who can be against you? Yes, amen. You can clap that. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Casey City Church. We pray that the Holy Spirit writes upon your heart the very blessing that God wants you to take out into the world. Hashtag Casey loved this city.